Today's scripture reading is from John chapter 4, verses 39 to 42. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of the word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I know we only read verses 39 to 42, but I actually want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open for we will be looking at other parts of John chapter 4, and it will definitely help you to better appreciate and understand what is actually happening in the context of what we read just now. This afternoon, we'll be delving into, as we delve into this passage together, we'll be focusing on three things, the love that intrudes, the love that transforms and the love that empowers. I sincerely pray and hope that you'll be encouraged uh, through this message, but not only that, uh, that you'll you'll be able to find a deeper appreciation um, for not just how much God loves you, but especially the way he loves you and me. Uh, Please join me in prayer once more. Father in heaven, we Thank you so much for just being who you are and then the work that you are doing in our lives. Father, we commit this time to you. I pray that would you use me, your servant, uh, to speak truth into the lives of the people you love so dearly. And may your word, which is, which is active and living, sharper than a double-edged sword, penetrate and pierce the hearts and minds of your people and transform them from the inside out. Father, we commit this time to you. Thank you once again. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, in this passage, we see Jesus engaging in a conversation with a Samaritan woman who came to draw water uh, from the well. And you might be wondering, who is this Samaritan woman? Verses 6 and 7 reminds us that it was about the sixth hour, a woman from Samaria came to draw water from this well. I want to actually draw your attention to the fact that she came during this time of the day. It was around six hour, which means around noon, and it happened to be the hottest part of the day. No one was there. And we are also told that she came by herself, that she was alone. You know, during those days, women usually avoided this time of the day to come and draw water from this well because it was just too hot. The sun was scorching. But during those days also, you know, around the well, that's where uh, the social gathering would actually take place. This will be a place where all the women will come in groups to connect and reconnect to, to socialize. But then the fact that she came alone during this time of the day by herself also says a, a great deal about who she is. She was a social outcast. People intentionally avoided her. People did, actually didn't even want to, to be around her. She was the talk of the town for all the wrong reasons. She was ostracized, condemned, and rejected by everyone because of her scandalous reputation. Her, li- her life had been utterly broken destroyed and defeated by sin. And as a result, people viewed her as worthless and her, li- her, her life situation as hopeless. You know, for a very long time, 
She hasn't had a meaningful interaction and a conversation with another person. But at this moment, she has absolutely no idea that she's about to have a conversation of her lifetime, a conversation with the Savior of the world who's actually coming to save someone like her. And she has absolutely no idea that through this encounter that her life will never, ever be the same again. Now, Jesus begins to speak to this sinful woman, give me a drink. Notice how she responds to Jesus' simple request, give me a drink. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. The fact that Jesus, who is a Jew, happened to even approach her and and engage in a conversation with her, she is shocked. She doesn't get it because this doesn't happen. You know, during those days, the Jews and the Samaritans, they absolutely hated each other. I think the word hatred will be an understatement. You know, to illustrate this point, I actually have a map that I want to show you. If the Jews actually wanted to go to Galilee from Judea, um, they would actually have to go through Samaria. But you know what they did? Because they hated the Samaritans so much, they actually took a roundabout way. See where, see where the dotted line is? They actually uh, went above and beyond to avoid them. Even if the men taking a longer journey. And that was the usual route around Samaria. But here we see Jesus. He was on his way from Judea to Galilee, and he's actually passing through Samaria. And and you don't see this uh, all too often during those days. The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. I remember when I was starting ministry in Philadelphia, um, it, it was painful. Well, number one, because I was just learning how to do ministry. But not only that, I was in an enemy's territory as a Mets fan. And it was so painful, and, and God actually did a lot of sanctifying work in my own heart because at that time as a Mets fan, it, that was not the place to be. And in 2008, the Philadelphia Phillies actually ended up winning the World Series. I was there. Not at the game, thank, <laughs> thankfully not. I was there, you know, ministering to the very people that God had called me to. And I, I remember telling God, like, God, Why? Why? Felt like a modern day Jonah. God, they don't, they don't deserve your love. They love the Phillies. <laughs> but God kept, you know, um, convicting me still love them, serve them, minister to them. It was really difficult because the entire church would make fun of me. It's like, oh, our dear pastor who loves the Mets. Aha, they're in the gutter, but now we won the World Series. Where are you? And then God actually brought me out of Philadelphia, praise God. But then he actually, the, the next ministry destination was Northern Virginia, the home of the Washington Nationals. And at that time, they were, they were really flourishing as a team, and they were really good. And I remember uh, my, my youth group students, all 200 of them, making fun of me. Like, you're Mets. You guys suck. Now, praise God for bringing me back to New York, and praise God that we are actually doing really well right now. But I remember... Just, just being like just hating them so much, the fact that they were they were you know succeeding as a franchise, but but then the fact that God had called me to love them, I remember there was a tension. But then through that, God taught me a lot about you know my sinful heart and and what it means to really love His people. 
you know, they really, really hated each other. But by speaking to this sinful Samaritan woman, Jesus is actually crossing cultural boundaries and breaking social barriers which would have been extremely frowned upon during those days. You know, she is a Samaritan woman, strike one. She is a, I mean, she is a Samaritan, strike one. She is a woman, strike two. And she is a sinful woman, strike three. In verse 27, we are actually told that when the disciples actually came back and saw Jesus and this sinful Samaritan woman having a conversation, they were just shocked. Verse 27, just as the disciples came back, they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? It was an absolute no, no. Even the disciples couldn't understand what was going on and why Jesus was even in the first place having a conversation with this woman. Now, you might be wondering, why is, what is Jesus doing here? Yeah, we get that. He was in a long journey and he's thirsty. But there's so much more taking place here. Jesus intentionally intrudes into her life. Here, Jesus is the gracious intruder. In a dictionary definition of the verb intrude, it means to put oneself intentionally into a place or situation where one is unwelcomed or uninvited. This sinful Samaritan woman didn't want Jesus to to find out anything about herself, but we see Jesus here intentionally going after her broken heart. Why? It's not to judge her, not to criticize her, not to inflict more pain, not to embarrass her, not to condemn her, instead to restore her, to heal her, to redeem her, and to save her. Here we see a glimpse of the gospel that Jesus not only pursues us in love but also meets us where we are. You know, after offering her to give, to give the living water, which is himself, if you actually look down to verse 16 and onward, that the conversation actually takes an unexpected turn. And this is where Jesus gets really up close and personal with her. Jesus intrudes deeper into her broken heart intentionally. Notice what he says in verse 16. Jesus said to her, well, call your husband and come here. Interesting. You meet someone for the first time and all of a sudden get very personal. Verse 17, the woman answered him, responded by saying, I have no husband. She shares a partial truth. So that was her partial confession. Notice that he doesn't give, she doesn't give him a full confession, but a partial confession. Why? She was afraid of telling the truth, but not only that, she didn't want to be exposed. She didn't want Jesus to know everything or anything about her they just met. You know, I wonder how many of you are actually feeling this way when it comes to going before God in full confession. Is there anything that's keeping you from going to God in full confession? In fact, is it actually difficult for you to go before God in full confession? Perhaps you've been offering God a partial confession all your life, thinking that if you were to confess that sin or you fill in the blank, 
that he will think less of you or he will love you less. I remember in seminary, I was taking a class, I was taking a class called Mentor Ministry. And it was an eye-opening course. I'm sure Pastor John took it as well with uh, Professor uh, Tim Whitmer. And this was a class where we each had to take turns bringing in a case that we as a church had to deal with. Um, pretty much how sin can break a church or any relationship. We, have, we each took turns bringing in a case study. And that we as a class uh, tackled it and to see how we can serve it, in a, uh, how we can resolve that issue in, a, in the most biblical and loving way. And at the end, the person who brought that case study will actually share with us what really happened. I mean, it was shocking. Some of the case studies that our classmates were bringing in, and we were, at, the, at the end, we were just wondering, that really happened at your church? Your pastor did that? The elders did that? The people in your congregation did what? It was shocking. Because we were coming, you know, face to face with the ugliness of sin and, and how it can utterly destroy everything on its path. But at the end of the semester, professor actually told us, guys, I know, you know, sin, it destroys everything on its path. And it can get ugly. It'll ruin lives, break churches apart. But why are you shocked when you see total depravity? And this is what he told us. I am unshockable. I've seen it all. I've heard it all. And that's what sin does. But why are you shocked? Because that's what sin looks like. Did you know that Jesus is also unshockable? Jesus is unshockable. He already knows everything about you and me. Just because we go before God in full confession, sharing everything about, especially those that no one knows about but you and him, the darkest secrets, the brokenness, or maybe a a painful past that no one else knows about. Just because you go before God in confession, sharing those things, God's not going to change his mind about you. Then he's not going to love you less. I think Jerry Bridges, in his book, The Discipline of Grace, he captured this uh, beautifully. And I would like to read that quote for you. That your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. Your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. Your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. You can actually go before God in full confession. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you may be going through right now, take a good look at the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ where he became sin for us, past, present, and future. It was nailed to the cross once and for all. And if you are in Jesus Christ, you are fully forgiven, pardoned, accepted, adopted into his kingdom, and that never, ever changes. But I love the fact that Jerry Bridges, he doesn't just end there. I actually want to draw your attention to the second part of that quote. I think we need to hear that more. Your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. You know, we, we, you know, oftentimes when we go before God, we're so used to repenting of our badness, But I think at times we also need to repent of our goodness. 
Maybe there are many of you, even as you're listening to this passage, maybe thinking, I'm not as bad as that Samaritan woman. My life doesn't resemble any, anything like that, so in that sense, I'm good. And then when you, when you get into that pattern, you know, I'm good compared to so-and-so, at least, at, at least I haven't committed, you know, X, Y, and Z, and maybe that's where you are. You, you kind of get into this pattern where you begin to compare to make yourself, make, to make feel good about yourself that I'm not as bad as, you know, so-and-so. I'm not as, I'm not as bad as, you know, so-and-so. But we also need to repent of our goodness. You know, in chapter 3, you know, before Jesus has encountered with this sinful Samaritan woman, he had another encounter in conversation with a, um, with a Jewish ruler, a Pharisee uh, named Nicodemus, who happens to be the, the exact opposite of, of this sinful Samaritan woman. Nicodemus, he was a religious leader, so he was religiously devout, morally upright, and he had social stature in, in society. He was well-respected. He had a place in society. And everything looked good about his life. He looked holy from the outside. But yet Jesus, what does Jesus tell him? You cannot inherit the kingdom of God until you are born again. It's not about who we are and what we can do. And let's get this right. We can never earn this. It's purely by grace of God. And I pray that as you continue to live your lives as Christians and as you, go, as you have your ups and downs, you know, there will, there will come a time where the first half of that quote will, will be more comforting to you, but there will come a time where actually the second half of that quote might really hit you hard and give you that wake-up call. You know, Jesus didn't come to make bad people into good people. Jesus came to make dead people alive. Love that transforms. You know, notice how Jesus responds to her partial confession. Let's go to verse 17 and onward. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you, have, you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. See, Jesus already knew everything about her past her infamous and notorious past, that, he, that she had been living in sin, that her life was utterly broken. And now you see what he is doing, that he is intentionally going after her broken heart. Here, Jesus, who is the gracious intruder, you see him entering deeper and deeper into her broken heart. And why is that? Because Jesus wanted to save her, to rescue her from her sin. And Jesus wanted to set her free from guilt and shame. And Jesus wanted to give her a new life and new identity. Here at this moment, this sinful Samaritan woman, she's fully exposed. She's fully exposed. But yet, completely embraced and perfectly loved at the same time. And this is how he loves broken sinners like you and me. You know, at times, God's love can look like a hurricane which uncovers everything on its path. And sometimes God will enter into your life in this manner like a hurricane, uncovering 
everything on its path. And when that happens, you will be fully exposed. And you're going to feel so naked and ashamed. But this is not a threat. And God doesn't do this to shame you and to destroy you. But sometimes God does this in order to show you just how much he loves you. And this is God's violin grace. And when that comes in the form of a hurricane, this is what it does, that it exposes yet restores. It uncovers yet heals. It reveals yet covers. He will never, ever leave you there standing, feeling naked and ashamed, lonely. God will enter and he he may uncover everything about you, but that's where God's amazing and saving grace comes rushing in at you like an avalanche, covering everything on its path. And And when that happens, and when you encounter Christ, and when you meet him, you will know that you're fully covered, fully forgiven, fully accepted, fully adopted. And you won't be able to outrun him with your guilt and shame. Sometimes this is how he loves. Love like a hurricane, grace like an avalanche. You know, how intimate is your relationship with Jesus? What's keeping you from having a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus? Perhaps you have a hard time running to God. Maybe you've been running from God all your life because of X, Y, and Z. You fill in the blank in your life. Perhaps you're afraid, or perhaps you're even convinced that, that because of you fill in the blank, if you share, or if he, if he were to find out that he may think less about you, that he may not love you the same. But this is where the gospel comes in. He already knows everything about you and me. And he already went to the cross on our behalf, and he died the death that we should have died, taking our place so that through his loving sacrifice and through his finished work on the cross, the sinners like you and me who are so undeserving and unworthy that we can be his precious and beloved children. You may be exposed, and that's what God will do. And actually, when you face, when you face yourself face-to-face with the word of God, you will be fully exposed, and you will know that you are so unable, you are, you are, you are broken, that you can never earn this. But in spite of our sins, flaws, and weaknesses and failures, If you are in Christ, you are covered, you are forgiven, and you are loved. Tim Keller, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, he actually um, sums sums this up um, very nicely, and this is what he writes. To be loved and not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. And if you're in Christ, this is true. You may be fully exposed, but yet you are perfectly loved by God.
you know, when I was doing ministry in Connecticut, uh, Maya was born in Connecticut, and uh, some of the students there actually got us this book, I Love You Through and Through. I don't know if you're a parent, maybe you read this book, some of you are smiling, maybe you read this book to, to your children. This is actually one of the first books that I read to Maya like over and over again. And I actually want to share it with you. I love you through and through. I love your top side. I love your bottom side. I love your inside and outside. I love your happy side, your sad side. Your silly side, your mad side. I love your fingers and toes, your ears and nose, your giggles and cries. I love you running and walking, silent and talking. I love you through and through, yesterday, today, and tomorrow too. When I read it for the first time, I ended the book by saying amen. (laughs) I was so reminded of the love of our Savior. I love you through and through, yesterday, today, and tomorrow too. You know, in spite of our sins, flaws, weaknesses, and failures, God loves you and me through and through. And to quote Tim Keller, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we, than we ever dare believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dare hope. Fully known, yet perfectly loved. This is how he loves us. The love that empowers. Jump down to verse 28 with me. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. I mean, this is crazy. After having this encounter with Jesus Christ, we see this sinful Samaritan woman actually running back to town to the very people who have been rejecting her, condemning her, the very people who hated her. What is going on? All of a sudden, she's acting like a totally different person. But this is exactly what happens when Jesus invades a broken heart And then with this love, transforms it and empowers it. I want to draw your attention to the fact that she actually left her water jar with Jesus in verse 28. She left her water jar with him and ran to town to tell them about the love of Jesus Christ. You know, this jar symbolized all the pain all the brokenness, all the baggage that she had been carrying up until this point. But after this encounter with Jesus Christ, she leaves that at his foot, knowing that she is perfectly loved and fully embraced by God. Now now because she knows that she is a beloved child of God, her identity firmly grounded and deeply rooted in this gospel message She now runs to the very people who hate her. Spiritual turning point to tell them about the love of this Savior. But sadly, up until this point, you know, no one had told her about 
God's love, mercy, and grace. They were too busy criticizing her, judging her, gossiping about her. She was always condemned and labeled as worthless and hopeless, sinful woman. She was mocked. She was ridiculed by everyone. You know, everywhere she went, she probably felt as if she was standing alone inside a courtroom, guilty as charged, awaiting her death sentence. I mean, this is why she came to draw water by herself in the heat of the day, alone, because she felt unwanted, worthless, hopeless, and lonely. She was drowning in guilt and shame. And I'm willing to bet there are many people among us whose life resembled that of this sinful Samaritan woman. We live in a broken world, and many people are hurting. We live in a broken world that is without grace and that is filled with disgrace. In the Philip Yancey writes that we live in an atmosphere choked with the fumes of ungrace. Where should they go to find grace? Where could they go to find grace? You know, why won't they come to church to find grace? Do you know why? Because sometimes Christians can be the most graceless people at times, most unloving people at times. You know, Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, he shares his encounter and a conversation that he, he had with a prostitute whose life was just utterly broken and destroyed and defeated by sin. As she was sharing more and more about her life and her story, he felt uncomfortable to the point that he had to call the authorities because now he felt so liable. But towards the end of the conversation, this is what um, he actually said. You know, at last I asked if she had ever thought of going to a church for help. You know, I will never, ever forget the look of pure, naive shock that crossed her face. In the church, she cried out, why would I ever go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. They'll just make me feel worse. You know, no wonder why so many people walk away from the church feeling hurt, judged, criticized, and misunderstood and unfortunately they never ever come back but there are people among us whose lives are utterly broken living life just like the sinful woman feeling unwanted worthless and God is calling us to go to them intentionally enter into their lives and share the love of God, the mercy of God, and the grace of God. You know, what if, what if we can see the people around us as God would see them, beyond their brokenness, beyond their flaws, beyond their pain and suffering? Because when Jesus entered into this sinful Samaritan woman's life, she didn't see the mess. She actually was excited at the fact that she was having a conversation with a broken sinner whom he came to redeem. You know, what if we learn to see the people around us as God would see them? 
There's so many people, broken people, living without hope that we can reach for the glory of God and for the sake of his kingdom. Let's not make the same mistake as we see the people in this town have done to this sinful Samaritan woman. Now let's jump to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. You know, after meeting Jesus Christ and having this conversation, she was completely transformed. And after encountering Jesus, as we can see, her life will never, ever be the same again. I mean, Jesus couldn't have sent a better witness to these Samaritans in this town because they were so sure of her past and her scandalous reputation. But she met Jesus and was transformed, and then she started going to the very people who hated her and sharing his love to them. Jesus couldn't have sent a better witness. Because she had never known a love like this, and she couldn't contain it. There was an inflow of God's love, which eventually began overflowing, and then was a natural outflow. She couldn't contain it. And that's why she went to the town to share, to share with them the love of the Savior. And she no longer cared about their opinions, what they thought of her, their judgments, she could care less. Why? Because she knew at that moment, after meeting Jesus, that her identity now and her self-worth was now firmly grounded and deeply rooted in the gospel. That she was fully loved and embraced, and she was now a child of God, deeply cherished and cared for, and that's all it mattered. So now she goes into the very people who hated her, embodying the gospel, being the gospel in action. So in a nutshell, you know what Jesus did as he entered into her life? He turned her mess into a message. And he can do the same for you and me. Turn our mess into a message. In that sense, she became a living testimony of Jesus Christ, his love, mercy, and grace. You know, as we close, the question I have for you is, Are you a living testimony? Is your life a living testimony? Have you been embodying the gospel? Are you the gospel in action? Do the people around you, especially the ones who are closest to you, when they look into your life, do they see Christ in you? Christ living in you? Perhaps... Your life is more of a biography than a testimony. I think the fundamental difference between a biography and a testimony is this, that in a biography, you are the hero. But in a testimony, Jesus is the hero. Maybe you've been living for yourself. Maybe when people look into your life, they see you at the center But I sincerely pray and hope that that 
that as you go deeper and deeper into your relationship with God, and as that relationship becomes intimate and even more personal, and as you come face to face with not just your own brokenness, but how God covers all of that in his love and mercy, that he will continue to empower you to live in this manner so that when people see you, they see Christ living in you. And that by looking into your life, they will want to know more about the Savior who has done this kind of work in your own life. I pray that as we remain faithful to the call that God has placed upon our lives to be a living testimony, bless also not forget the people around us that we can reach in our respective neighborhoods, communities, and workplaces and campuses. Let's ask God to help us so that, that they can also encounter the love of Christ and be transformed and be a living testimony to the people around them so that they could also point more people to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the way you love us. Thank you that in Jesus Christ that we are forgiven, that we are adopted, that we are loved, that because of the finished work of the cross, that we are now precious and beloved children, co-heirs of the kingdom that is coming. God, I pray that as we continue to live our lives as your people. Help us to go deeper and deeper into the gospel. And may you continue to change us from the inside out so that that our lives will resemble more and more of your love and your mercy and grace. And continue to empower us, Lord, to be your living testimonies to the people around us, especially the ones who are hurting, the ones who are living without hope, the ones who feel unwanted, marginalized, the ones who are desperately seeking for answers. Father, would you send us to those very people and also would you open, open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, so that we may learn to see the people around us in the same way that you would see them. So Father, use us, use this ministry to reach more people for Christ and for your kingdom and glory. And I pray that, Lord, that, that as people who who are dear to us and who are closest closest to us, look into our own lives, Lord. May they be able to see you at the center, living in us and transforming us. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us this much. Thank you for the way you love us. And in Christ's name we pray, amen.